The International IVF Initiative is a worldwide non-profit education project for the assisted reproductive technologies community, sharing scientific and practical knowledge for embryologists, reproductive scientists and anyone working in the ART community. Each episode will share an insight into the world of IVF, along with profiles of legends within the world of ART, latest news and wisdom from our community. Here's your host, Giles Palmer. Welcome to the first i3 podcast from the International IVF Initiative. My name is Giles Palmer and I'll be your host. I'm an embryologist with over 33 years of experience. I had to look that up actually to see how long I've been working in IVF. I've um, had the pleasure of working all around the world, meeting fascinating people and I hope that this podcast series will um, do the same. We'll be bringing you interviews with the IVF greats, have us with fascinating conversations with people that we meet on our webinar series, also the after parties which we have and also the meetings which the i3 team have when they put together these webinars and we hope to share with you more information and connect with you in various ways. We want to hear your questions, we want you to interact with us and in this launch episode we'll be meeting colleagues of mine through the International IVF Initiative and you'll be hearing how we really started these sessions. The world obviously took a pause at the beginning of the pandemic and a group of us got together and we formed the International IVF Initiative. We've been putting webinars together for over a year now, almost every week. So we're having great fun doing this, sharing conversation with you all. So in today's episode, we'll be hearing from the i3 team. There'll be Jacques Cohen, who's the CEO of the International IVF Initiative and really the guy that got the ball rolling in his early days of the pandemic, together with Peter Nage, Thomas Elliott of RVF.com, and Shaisa Sandrudan and Marianne Cervetes. We'll hear from them, we'll hear how we got started and our plans for the future. So this came about um, spontaneously, I think in the first week or so of the lockdown here in New York State. The timing was about the same in Georgia, where Thomas is located. And uh, I, I thought, well, now that everybody is at home worrying, maybe a little entertainment would be in order. And and since Thomas and, and KL, the with and without Alpha in the 90s, organized the whole series of, of online meetings, of course, not audio or video, but online meetings, I thought this would be a great way to pick that up with completely different technologies, you know, more, more than 20 years later. I was already remote in terms of my work. And so I gave Thomas a call and said, well, what about setting up a webinar series? It's, it's either the end of March or the first week of April, 2020. He said, great. And uh, we decided to bring in Peter that same day. And, uh, and then uh, I was chatting with Thomas and I remember very interestingly how, how he said, well, I better get a website together. So, so. You know, it was incredible. By Monday, he had a draft, and uh, by Tuesday, more than a draft, and uh, it went very fast. And then we put programs together and sort of a format and uh, decided to go for two webinars a week with anywhere between one and three speakers. And uh, we did the week after that, I think we broadcasted, right? So it was done in 10 days. I remember that I introduced it as we're only 10 days old giving the audience that uh, that we had an excuse in case things weren't going right. But we kind of sold out that first meeting. That first meeting was, of course, about a sobering subject, about uh, COVID and the potential consequences of infection in our field. The first two speakers were Lodo Parmigiani and Kay Elder. Kay Elder, who very elegantly gave a very good lecture. 
uh, I saw that Lodo, uh, uh, but but Kay spoke about um, um, what we could expect here uh, about coronaviruses uh, and uh, in general, and she was very well informed. And I also think we had one or two virologists already in our forum. Uh, Pavlo Mazur, maybe the first one, and then a friend of yours, Giles from from Cardiff. Uh, yeah, that's right. It was that was Alan Parker, who, who's now Professor Alan Parker, and he was um, working on he, he he was working in in the field of oncology, but in fact his lab got um, you know taken over as did as did many um, with the sole aim to you know help with the vaccines and to test out anything that was going on to further the knowledge of this new virus which was around. So that was, you know, the that was that was the first session, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, the first session. And Lodo gave his own experience because he had been infected and was on demands, but he actually was video broadcasting from his bedroom where he was isolated. In that time, we thought that was all very spectacular and odd because I certainly had not even spoken to anybody who had been infected. And here was Lodo, who was already on the other side. You may remember that the first, in the Western world, the first outbreak was in northern Italy. Lodo being located in Bologna became a, Bologna became more of a, um, a local um, uh, hotspot a week or two after that. So they were, at least compared to the UK and, and the United States, they were three, four weeks earlier. And so here he was sharing his experience to everybody who was uh, dialing in, uh, watching us. There wasn't many people that actually knew someone that had had this, had they? Well, you know, it was it was, it was quite strange for that. Right, right. And uh, so, yeah, the, the amazing thing is Thomas getting everything together, setting up the Zoom webinar series, uh, getting the website in order so that people could register, getting links. Um, I mean, it's was done very, very fast and lucky, unlucky, we had a lot of time. <laughs> so the labs were closed. So we put, yeah, this was done. First call was on Saturday and 10 days later, I think it was 10 days later, we gave our first uh, webinar and uh, and did and did not, uh, did we do, I think we did do a rehearsal. Um, I'm, I'm not sure, Thomas. Um, I think it was Colin Howells who came on board like five days after we talked. And um, I think it was Colin Howells who suggested that for Aris Serona and other pharmaceuticals he worked for, um, larger meetings that were well had to be well organized, there were always training sessions. And we thought that was great. Um, and so that's what we did. Was that from the first, did we do a train? I think we did, right? We had a rehearsal. Yeah. For that first we session. had right at the beginning, very first sessions. We had, I mean, it was we there was we were dealing with a lot of unknowns. One of the things that we we realized when we first put out a call for a meeting was that very quickly we had, I think, over two thousand registrants um, for for a session. And I think it got up to like two thousand five hundred, two thousand seven hundred for our first session. Um, and we had no idea if the technology would be able to take 2,000 people. Um, and the speakers 
who would be speaking from their home on their computer in front of an audience of you know, nearly 2,000 people, you know, this was very, very strange and new to them as well. For everybody, it was a very new experience. There was a, a lot of nerves, but everyone did you know, fantastic presentations. Um, the moderators made you know, all the sessions come alive. I think it was a very interesting time because of we could take people away from the unknowns and the fears that were, were happening around them in terms of um, the coronavirus, the way that people were being furloughed, people didn't know how long they would be away from their work, when they were next to their family. Um, and it gave them an opportunity to become immersed, in essence, in something that they love, the science of, of IVF and embryology. And working on two sessions a week certainly provided a great deal of, of, of information and, and learning for these people. It was exhausting to do, but I think that it was something that was a, a very special time that enabled us to provide something essentially to the, to the community who were feeling, you know, to a large extent, scared, apprehensive, and, and, and just the fear of, of the unknown. You know, you had all this experience, you know, you, you were the go-to guy that we came to for this. Um, you know, and you put it together in a very short, short time. But of course, everything you do has to have IVF in it, doesn't it? I'm, I'm thinking there's a theme, isn't there? Yeah, it's the yeah. Theme, yes. yeah. Yes. So the website, so the website, of course, is is ivfmeeting.com. But of course, we sort of operate as I3 or, or, or as the yes. International IVF Initiative. So that's the place to go to where you can see still the vast number of lectures and videos which are still there, yeah? Yes, absolutely. So it's interesting, I worked, as, as Jacques mentioned a little bit earlier, I worked with Kay Elder predominantly, but also with a lot of the, the early executive committee members of Alpha on some essentially conferences that were all text that spread around the world. This was back in the late 90s, so around 98 uh, 99 and we have published proceedings from those conferences but people would talk about science I and mean, we were talking about blastocyst culture before blastocyst culture really existed um, testicular sperm troubleshooting in ivf labs um, and it really enabled a, a great deal of knowledge to be shared around the world i remember doing some statistics um, after one of the sessions and we had about 420 participants from about 40 um, countries, which at the time was a, a huge achievement to be able to reach around the world to that extent. As technology improved, I, you know, I thought that it would be a lot of fun to recreate those um, essentially with video technology or audio technology. And but in order to actually make anything come of that, it just, there was never a good time or a good opportunity. So when I got my phone call from Jacques, I was in the back garden with my kids. I'd already had a lot of thought about how it could be done. And Zoom hadn't been invented when I was first thinking about these, the potential possibilities. Um, so when we investigated technologies um, and Zoom was available, we decided to, to try that out. Jacques said, I put the website together quite quickly, but really I'd had quite a few years thinking about how I would want to do this if it ever came to, to this opportunity. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I, I gathered that when I, when I called you, that you, you, you were the one to call, and I'm, I'm glad you picked up. Um, you know, and I think also if you go back to the 1990s, those, that series that you did with Kay Elder, I, I, 
one of the difficulties was to do this worldwide. And so the tax system would really circulate around the world. And I think those meetings lasted yep. 36 to 40 hours to, to get everybody to in the same kind of Q&A. It basically was an extended Q&A. And uh, to get everybody on, on the same page. Um, and, and then we bottle yeah. after yeah. their night had passed and, and log back in. Um, isn't that right? I think that's what we did. Right at the beginning, there would be an introductory few paragraphs ab about the topic. And then we'd had a few people that we'd spoken to in advance um, who would come in and they would be aware of what we were talking about. And they'd start putting in some comments and some questions ready to start driving questions. And then as those uh, were responded to and other people asked their questions, it expanded and grew from there. It was very interesting to watch. A lot of the time you'd be watching a screen and, and refreshing that screen and waiting for the next comment to come along and see who, who may have written it. But it was exhausting. I mean, I, I was awake for, for most of those times. And in fact, one of the sessions, um, I was working yeah. at home and yeah. like just a few hours before the, the conference was due to start, my computer crashed, like dead. And luckily, I knew enough to reboot the, the system from scratch, essentially. But I thought this is going to be a disaster. <laughs> it's going to be a disaster. You know, I'm, I'm supposed to be running this and I don't have a computer and I have no way of getting access to a computer. So I had to reinstall an operating system and, and download programs in order to get this <laughs> up and running. And it, luckily, it went very, very smoothly. But all these things happened behind the scenes and hopefully no one really knows all of the disasters that, that sometimes happen. Well, with, with uh, Zoom, we were worried about similar things, but Zoom is such a robust platform that uh, a host can, the host's server or computer can go offline, which has happened, and, uh, and the system just keeps going. And then uh, you may have a co-host or, or the host picks up where when, when the Wi-Fi comes back. It's really quite amazing and nobody notices. Of course, that wasn't necessarily the case in the 1990s. But, but really what we had in the 1990s, in, in the States at least, was this uh, system set up by Don Rieger called Ambiomail. Ambiomail was, of course, static, whereas your conferences in the end of the 90s became dynamic. They were live, lack of a better description. They were live, whereas Ambiomail was... Well, this is what we have now, and you can send in comments, and those were then posted. It was a slower and more regimented interaction. But I think Don Rieger, we've got, we've got to give him credit. I don't know when he set that up, but it is in the, I think it's in the early 90s. I think so, the early 90s. And it was very quick, wasn't it? You know, you would post something, and you'd get so many answers coming yeah, back. Right. So it was like immediate sort yeah. of, you know, posting. It's a bit what other social platforms like then became, wasn't it? We had like a bulletin board, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. And Ambio Mail is now hosted by ASRM and is still doing okay, I, I think I'm. I'm not following it. Maybe you guys are. Yeah, they still have postings. I think I received oh, one today. Okay. Well, maybe I should sign up. 
But like, um, just going back to your website, Thomas, um, how long has that been going for? And it really is the go-to place, you know, when you're looking for jobs, I think, posting stuff. You know, it's like a little lighthouse that we have full of embryology. You were very quick on getting that name, weren't you? That, I was, that I was very lucky. RVF.net. Yes. So, very lucky. so there's a couple of stories way from back in the beginning. So when I'd first started embryology, within the first few months, I was working at the Oxford Fertility Unit. They sent me on a basic semen analysis course. And it was hosted by Chris Barrett and Alan Pacey. And uh, we've had Alan and Chris both talk on, on some of the i3 sessions. Alan Pacey was very much into to computers, uh, very much into um, email. And this is all brand new for me. Um, and so at the end of the, the course, he was showing me this is what an email is. And I was, I was thinking, this is really kind of cool. And then he showed me a website. And I was like, oh, well, this is this is amazing. This is, this is something I've never seen before. So when I went back home uh, to Oxford after the course, I started to, to browse websites. There was really not a lot of websites out there. I mean, a lot of the big businesses did not have websites. Um, there were a lot from Scandinavia of people showing their pets and other the web pages, but there really wasn't a lot of in a big business that it invested in the, the web at that point. We were still using Netscape Navigator. But I realized that it wasn't too difficult to create a website. And I wanted to, to try it out. And obviously, with my job in, in embryology, the most useful thing that I could do was, was to set up something for embryologists. So I started on a website, and it was called the Embryological Resources website and i started building this and at the same time i got contacted that's a very catchy yes. name <laughs> <laughs> so i started building this and and at the time animated gifs like fire and lightning bolts um were very very popular so the the embryology embryological resources network had fire and lightning bolts on its front page and a counter so that every time that people visited the page the counter increased by one and it was really just just a, a page that people could communicate with each other or contact each other and, and start to, to reach out. Um, as it began to grow, um, I was then contacted by uh, Kay Elder um, because she wanted to do something for Alpha. So we started working um, together. I was doing the, the web pages for Alpha for a while alongside IVF.net. And they both grew for a while together. And then the Alpha... Uh, website was developed more in-house um, and I continued running um, IVF.net. There was a, a doctor who I was working with at the Oxford Fertility Unit. But he, he said, hey, have you heard about these things called domains? They're like virtual pieces of, of internet property. So for example, you can have things like toothpaste.com or you know, shampoo.com and they might be worth something one day. And I thought, well, that would be interesting to have maybe IVF.com, um, see if that's available. But that had already been taken like a couple of years ago. So I looked at the website called IVF.net. Now, the rules and regulations for a .NET domain were that it had to be a, a network or a network of computers. And I thought, well, this isn't really a network or a network of computers, but maybe I can try and buy it and see what happens. And then it was a hassle because it was all in, in dollars and I was from England. So I wasn't sure if that would be a possibility to even buy it. But I managed to get the bank to change uh, the money, put it into dollars, sent it over to America. And then I started IVF.net. Um, and it's been growing ever since. And who would have known that you would have f followed it or followed the dollars, really, and it went to the States, yeah? 
Exactly. Who would have knew exactly. that then? Yeah. 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 I'd, people yeah. were obviously worried about what was happening with the pandemic, but also people were not sure how people would, uh, you know, g- get to the conferences and get that scientific education, if you remember. Yeah. A, a lot of conferences were, were being cancelled at that time or so. So it sort of fell after the actual initial lectures about COVID. It was then. It, it changed slightly, wasn't it, to be purely educational and I think to keep people perhaps away from the everydayness, which was the, you know, growing anxiety about the pandemic, wasn't it? Yeah, I think, I, you know, so early on, some kind of conferences cancelled, but certainly not the main ones, not, not ASHRAE or ASRM or even AAB, all of those maintained their date and then coming closer to those events, they started cancelling and trying to go virtual or not. And and we felt uh, within weeks that maybe we should offer those uh, organizations a place to hold some of their session. And we and we did we did reach out. Uh, it worked for ABB and I think it worked for SRBT, Society for Reproductive Biologists and Technologists, which is a which is of course a section in uh, ASRM. And so we, we have hosted sessions for those organizations. I think that was mostly in May of 2020, maybe June. And later did that for Alpha as well, which uh, they canceled their meeting, which was, I think, in, uh, in September 2020. And that, uh, that unfortunately had to be canceled. So yeah, it's one after the other. And we always provided I3 as it was non, you know, a non-binding it wasn't associated with any professional organization, although quite a few professional organizations deemed us as uh, as being uh, acceptable and wanted to be associated somehow. And uh, and it's been like fifteen or twenty of them, right? I mean, they're still they're still posted on uh, on the side um, uh, without really doing much. This is what happened because they felt that we were one of the beacons that were continuing education. And, uh, and and we had the feedback that we particularly got was from uh, I think I think I think we have to look at that what what were the responses early on when we had these sessions and so we we're just going by the chat function looking at what people were saying in the chat the question and answer sessions that we had as well as you know uh, individual contacts uh, that that all the organizers had which was really a group between eight and twenty people that was a mostly very, very positive. So the feedback was there. That kept us going because we thought we're going to do this for the length of the lockdown, thinking that it would be about four to six weeks. <laughs> and so uh, that, of course, was extended and uh, and the feedback just kept coming, as it still does. But obviously, people have come back to work in the summer of 2020, mostly. And so you can see that natural change. Of course, the timing of when we did things, the timing of of Thomas's and Kay's meetings in the, you know, online meetings in the 1990s was all around the world for 36 hours. Ours, of course, had to be compacted in one to two hours. This podcast also is going to be a forum for people who want to comment on the previous webinars and also ask questions as well. We're, you know, changing as, you know, as people are changing. We're going to bring in the other team to talk about how people can find us. And I'm here now with Peter Naj, Shaisa Sanjuden, Marianne Chavetes, and of course, Thomas Elliott, who you've heard of before. How are you guys? Are you all right? Great. Yeah. Everybody good. Good. Thank you. 
I think you're all impressed with the podcast equipment that you've all got, and we're going to start our season of doing our podcast. If I can start with you, Peter, how did you first get involved? When did you get the call, I should say? Um, so it was from my colleague and friend, uh, Thomas, you know, who told me that uh, he and Jacques has uh, came up with the idea of organizing a webinar uh, for uh for our group of embryologists uh, all over the world. And um, the reason for that is because that when the pandemic just started and, you know, all of us uh, were staying basically at home, most of the IVF clinics, they shut down. And it just seemed like the right time, you know, to do something that is educational. And at the same time, it also, you know, provides some... Uh, some ability for all of us to to contribute and learn from each other, teach each other, share our experience. And I think it was just a brilliant idea. And uh, I immediately told, yes, I will be happy to do it. And, you know, know a few people here and there, and we'll be happy to invite also those, you know, just to connect and uh, get them involved as well. I think you know a few more than a few people here or there. And of course, we we rely on you and also Jacques when, when we think about the scientific content of the sessions. Has there been any... Any favorite webinars that you've liked? Yes, I have to to admit that it would be hard to list uh, because you know they are all all excellent. Uh, each of them is unique in in some ways or many ways. Um, it's 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 really really hard to say. You know, I love webinars where you know the pure science comes through and and the best professional. Uh, scientist uh, of the topic is is giving you know their their uh, lecture and you know sometimes I have no idea what they are talking about I try to learn it and understand it but um, you know it's it's I just love you know those pure science and you know try to relate uh, you know how it comes to or how we can connect it to our world and uh, I also love you know something very different which is like a round table where you know, uh, a number of colleagues of us who are doing, you know, practical work in, in IVF are, uh, you know, just sit down and share their experience and, you know, uh, try to figure out, you know, what is the best way to do the different procedures, you know. So they are, they are all great and all unique. And I think one of the one of the little-known secrets has been after the webinars, we also have a meeting afterwards where we like to thank the speakers and, and also the moderators. And I think from there, there's been some fantastic scientific discussion that's gone on there as well isn't there absolutely and you know that that is something that i have been you know thinking for some time that you know one of the loveliest discussions conversations about the different topics that we heard on the webinar is actually happening uh, right after that the webinar finished and i was just wondering you know i think you were wondering and maybe others too that hey can we just record those and you know share those because i i think they bring up you know very much to the point ideas so absolutely yeah sure sure and they have a few bits on there which we sometimes miss in the webinar or or perhaps we extend the discussion because obviously there's a time restriction there but we shall be recording these after parties as, as we call them and we shall be put them, putting them on the podcast as well now we're also joined by other people is Shaisa Sajuden how are you I'm doing really well good and do you want to explain how you got involved with i3 and and all the little things you do in the background that no one ever hears about <laughs> but we know a lot um you know Thomas kind of recruited most of us and said hey this is a really good time to do this a lot of people are really anxious during COVID. Um, in the U.S., a lot of clinics had shut down at the time. 
So um, people, there were just a lot of things up in the air. So we wanted to utilize that opportunity to provide some free educational sources for people. And it sounded really interesting and exciting. So I agreed. And it's been quite an adventure, but I've really enjoyed it. I've gotten to know a lot of people. What I do in the background is help arrange and handle a lot of the logistics for a lot of these sessions. And then um, biggest thing, I guess, is that the the triage of the Q&A that we do in the background. So especially in the beginning, it was it was a wild ride. Uh, we had a very large, very, very large audience, and we still do. For certain topics, we would get so many questions that it was it was hard for the moderators to manage the questions and be able to sort and filter them. And, you know, the toughest job is for our moderators who do these sessions because they're constantly multitasking, trying to pay attention to the speakers and everything they're saying and uh, respond to them and simultaneously try to filter and sort through these questions. We kind of alleviate that burden from them. We highlight the ones that we think would be most beneficial, try to make it as seamless and easy for them as possible. So that's the a gist of, of what we do in the background. But you have, of course, been in front of the camera as well, haven't you? In your own right, you are an embryologist and you put together a session, which one of our, one of our earliest sessions, wasn't it? Yes, yes. So um, I've moderated a, a small handful of sessions. Um, I think the one you're referring to is the Young Gun session. So that was a passion project for me because I, I really like to see our young professionals and our junior embryologists kind of thrive in this environment, you know, the, the pace and the workflow in embryology has changed dramatically since IVF first started. There was a lot of uh, foundation building in the beginning and um, a lot of our predecessors and people, you know, like Jacques and Peter have, have laid the building blocks for IVF and we have the pleasure of following in their footsteps. But, you know, we want to lay our own building blocks and I, I want to see junior embryologists and young professionals further their careers and keep that motivation alive. That was the intent of that session. Now, of course, you have been in front of the camera, but there's one person that hasn't been yet, and that's Marianne Chavetes. So welcome to the group. Welcome to the group discussion, Thank I should you. say. Because you're mentioned at every webinar session at the end. It's a name that no one can say. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But we all rely on you. And do you want to tell us how you got involved with um, I3 and uh, and all the work you do? Sure. So Jacques Cohen, um, I've worked with him for over six years with Althea Science. And when he came up with the idea for this initiative, he had called me and asked me if I would like to be involved. Um, there's a lot of administrative work that happens in the background um, as you all know, and I don't know if the audience knows, I am not an embryologist. Um, I have a business background, not a science background. Um, so I work with Jacques in that capacity. Although I wouldn't be qualified to give a talk or maybe even moder moderate a session, I do a lot in the background to keep everything running. So I work with Giles on getting the emails out every week, sending invitations to all of the participants, and backing up Thomas, our tech expert, for the uh, webinars. So people maybe haven't seen our webinars before and probably listening to this podcast and wondering how they can find out more about i3. Uh, what can they do? Yeah, so our website is ivfmeeting.com. So they can go to that website. They can also sign up to be a member and you only need to register for one session. And once you register, we have your email and then you'll be on our mailing list and we send out reminders every week for 
the next webinar. Got you. And now we've got the me membership card, okay, which I hope people are now downloading and putting on their phones because that means that they will get instant notifications of upcoming webinars. Now, you mentioned our IT expert, Thomas. What about you? And now you've done a few sessions, haven't you, before? What's your favorite session? Interesting question because I've, I found some sessions which I didn't think I was I would be as interested in as I turned out to be after I'd saw that session. For example, I, I found the the social media one, wasn't, I wasn't sure how much I would get out of that. But after watching it, I found it fascinating. I think the presenters were did a great job. And I think that it was a very good and timely topic. But in terms of uh, the other sessions, which I've been very, very fond of, I think the very first one that we did with, with Kay Elder, I think that her presentation was incredible. Um, it was right at the beginning of the pandemic, I think most embryologists didn't know a lot about viruses. Um, and Kay very, very um, eloquently broke down um, a lot of information about viruses, how they may affect embryology. And I think that in the very, very early days of the pandemic, that was one of the best places as an embryologist to get information that would be relevant to the field and I guess the ongoing pandemic as it affected all of us. So I think that was a very special webinar. Others that I think were were very interesting, I found the presentation by Evelyn Telfer and David Albertini about uh, in vitro maturation of ovarian follicles to be fascinating. I also very much enjoyed um, David Gardner's presentation, which was about lactate. Have you had a favorite session? You know, Jazz, that uh, we have been organizing over 80 uh, different webinars and uh, and you have so many webinars uh, and in relatively short a period of time maybe one and a half year period of course then there is a very wide range of topics and you know as we talked about it a little bit before some some of the webinars they are very practically oriented and um, you know someone who is uh, interested how to make a uh, procedure better, how to improve results, what uh, he or she can do better in the laboratory, uh, can learn from some of those webinars. And then someone who is more interested about the theoretical background um, of certain aspects, uh, physiology of the egg, of the embryo development, of, you know, uh, sperm, etc. Um, you can find also those webinars. So it's a very, very, very wide range. And uh, we can also see uh, maybe a little bit on the on the audience, you know, uh, that are attending of those di different webinars. You know, there are some, uh, you know, great attendees who try really very hard to be there on every web webinars. But then you see also that there are, you know, uh, webinars where those embryologists who are interested more about the practicalities are going to to attend and then those different webinars were you know interested about the theory will attend more so you you get here everything and that that is the beauty of these webinars that it's not all the same it's they are actually very different and and uh it's surrounding a very wide range of topics and so interest. what can people expect from the webinars what can they expect to hear as far as topics you know if you are looking for uh, an idea that you know the presenters uh, who are participating in the webinars you know what is their experience i think you know most of the time you see that uh, they are working on the field for several decades many times and uh, they are really the experts of the different topics and uh, then of course you see also 
uh, what Shaista mentioned earlier about the young guns that, uh, you know, they they are on our field, but, you know, they are the new generations. They are, you know, the very motivated and uh, very dedicated, you know, professionals who, who want to do things even better. And, you know, uh, maybe they have less less experience, but they definitely have all the motivation and, and uh, you know, dedication what they want to do. So, uh, definitely, there is a very wide range, and and um, usually there is a lot of lot of experience that we don't see in many many other uh, forums like you see here at uh, the I3 webinars. Okay, thank you. Okay, just for fun now, does anyone know which is my favorite webinar? Come on, you must be able to guess. It's got to be a space one. It's the space ones. Of course, it's the space ones. <laughs> of course, of course. I don't know. Yeah. I might have. I might have said social media for you, Giles. Um, that was that was um, very tricky to get together. It was like herding cats <laughs> in a very nice way. But um, th- there's a lot of gems in there, and and there's a lot of things which, you know either embryologists or people from the clinics can like take away from that, you know, just about, you know, the patients have been driven towards media on their phones. Now, you know, what are the do's and don'ts? We had some very good webinars about um, diversity. We had the trans folk um, session. We also had um, talking about like rainbow washing and, and, and how clinics had to prepare themselves, but in a correct way um, to all the diverse um, people that we see in the clinic. So, you know, we, We've done a hell of a lot of stuff, and um, and it's been picked up by people from all ages. I think people have been very pleased with the quality of speakers we've had because they actually took the time to come on, and we have to thank these people as well. And it's been really good. So you know, it's not just us which are here today. It's also people that have helped you know with ideas and and also on the admin side, isn't it? So it's yeah. So I uh, you know Thomas reminded me that. Um about the evolution of our of series is that we did. So initially it started with COVID and yeah, Kay Elder had a fantastic presentation um, that informed us about kind of a little bit more about what the COVID virus was. A lot of us didn't know. And then we transitioned into how to handle COVID in the lab, what we should do. Um, and I, I thought those initial few podcasts, I keep saying podcasts, the initial few sessions that we did were really helpful to a lot of embryologists in a very uncertain time. And then as things kind of, you know, picked up, we were able to expand on these topics. So like Peter said, we have things like the young guns. We've done social media um, topics about how social media impacts infertility. Those were really good. We did a really amazing one on mental health that I really appreciated. And then we've done more um, embryology and science focused ones. So we've done multiple sessions on cryo governance um, and, um, on male factor and and sperm and things like that. Um, There were some uterine ones that I I found particularly uh, interesting. Uh, But I think my favorite part about our website and the way it's structured, thank you, Thomas, is that you can search for anything by topic. You can search for it by speaker. So, you know, if within one session we've had three different speakers present, you can watch the entire session on that one particular topic, or you can narrow it down and also look for that one speaker who's spoken um, on on a subtopic within that topic and just watch that as well. So I think it's broken down really well on the website. Well, so in the early days, you know, as Shaista mentioned, we had so many people attending. Um, we still were trying to figure out, you know, streamline the process of 
sending out emails, aver- you know, getting a website together, letting people know. Um, so we did, and because everybody was working from home, maybe their labs were shut down. Um, we had reached out to other colleagues in the in the industry and had asked for help. And there were so many people that uh, really wanted to help out and get involved. Um, and you know, some people that we that helped out a lot, uh, Liesel, Nell to Matt, Dara Berger, and Allison Bartolucci. I mean, there were others, but those are three that um, also helped out a lot in the background um, with the triage and you know managing all the questions coming in. Um, I know Scheist again mentioned that earlier, but we had so many questions coming in from the audience and trying to manage all of that in the background took a lot of people. Um, so, and now, um, we're able to manage with just a few, but if one of us is not available, they're always willing to help out and pitch in, which is great. I would like to give a few other shout outs, especially, um, in the beginning when we were kind of setting all of this up, we had help from a lot of people, support from a lot of people who may not, um, be as involved now as they were in in the beginning, but we definitely should give kudos to like Colin Howell, you know, um, Kay Elder and um, Lodo um, Parmigiani, I'm sorry if I mispronounce his name, were kind of the the very first speakers that we had on um, that were really helpful. Kelly Catterson was a huge help. Um, Eva Shankman, Allison Campbell, uh, Arthur Chang, Kim Pomeroy, um, trying to remember all of these names. Um, if there's anyone else, uh, Dean Morbeck has been super helpful as well. Um, if you guys think of anyone else who, who was really there in the foundations of setting up these, um, these sessions, then throw their names in the mix as well. Yeah, no, no, you're right. There were a lot, those people were all really involved. It's great. It's very inspiring. Uh, that's what, that's what I can tell you, you know, in the, when it started, I, I, I didn't know what to expect. You know, I really didn't know what to expect. Uh, I think, you know. Um, joining someone like, like you know, Jacques, Jacques Cohen, who is truly a living legend, you know. So when, when we are talking about, you know, recognized professionals in our field, that's one thing. But, you know, Jacques is, is really on a different level. You know, I know Jacques for forever, I think 92, when we first met, when Jacques came to Brussels, you know, to, to look at, you know, how we do ICSI. Um, and I learned a little bit later that jazz was also there actually, uh, a little bit later for the same reason. And, and, you know, Jacques back at that time, he was already legend, you know, because, uh, he was working in Bornholm, um, uh, together with Bob Edwards, um, you know, the first IVF baby and, and not only because of the historical reasons, but also because, you know, the knowledge of Jacques is, is like enormous. I mean, you know, single-handedly he's able to, you know, to create uh, webinar topics for weeks and weeks and weeks, you know, and comes up with new ideas. And he knows, you know, very much in the detail, uh, everything, all aspects on different topics. I mean, uh, I have to say that, you know, I, I'm not, not sure how anyone is able to, you know, lucky that he's not here and that doesn't hear it. But I mean, I really don't know how anyone is able to to absorb that much knowledge, um, you know, 
on about our field. So, you know, so Jacques is one thing. And then, you know, uh, you know, there are, of course, other really excellent professionals, but but it's 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 a different situation, I think. Yeah, that was, I think, what was most surprising to me, too, is the amount of support that we got from. I mean, I listed off a bunch of names, but that was only a fraction of the names that we had. I was in awe of how many people wanted to get involved how many people wanted to be a part of it. Any Anybody that we asked wanted wanted to get involved. And, just and, you know, just to add to, impre- to that previous thought is that, mm-hmm. um, you know, what, what our group created and, and, you know, now thanks to Jazz mm-hmm. that you are, mm-hmm. you know, carrying really uh, all, the, all the lead and all the heavyweight, um, I, I think we our group was able to to bring together a community and create a commun- community I, I really believe this and and the ability to to share experience i i think uh, is really exceptional i i didn't know that this would happen and and i am you know i am surprised and very happy i mean it came out of the this, need that really... of course with the pandemic we were thinking you know how will, how will we stay together and how will we still be educated and of course and that was in the time when all the conferences for that year were being closed. So we were able, obviously, to, to sort of house that. As Peter says, like with the community, we were able to, you know, put together some strong scientific webinars. We were able to add a personal side, add humor sometimes, add at least see very clearly how the speakers were. And it, it has been amazing how people have just picked up on this. They've wanted to be engaged, as you've said, and we haven't had anyone that's had a difficulty but at saying yes when we've asked them to speak. So it's really brought the community together. I think people are always wondering what the next session is going to be about. And we have a, such a strong following on social media that um, we're here to go on and on. And as long as people enjoy our webinars, I think we're going to be here. I think one of the things that surprises me continuously is the different countries that log on. We have visitors from literally all over the world. And I think our attendee list over all of the sessions is is up to around about 18,000 people. Um, so we've, we've definitely reached out, um, you know, through all corners of, of, of the world, um, again, with the goal to educate people, um, build a community, um, and show support for each other. Um, and I think that that's been something for me which has has been surprising and astonishing that there is a huge community um, of people who who love embryology who love the science who want to see success in their own clinics and success uh, from a much broader scale in the whole industry of IVF embryology fertility see it develop progress um, into the future yeah just to follow up with what you just said we have on average between 70 and 80 countries represented every week every week and in the early days we were over 80 but we've been averaging between 70 and 80 countries represented each time So you heard from Marianne and Thomas talking about the vast attendee list that we have. He mentioned 80 countries represented, but in fact, we have over 180 countries in our vast mailing list. We would really love your support on this new venture we're doing. So please don't forget to subscribe to the International IVF Initiatives podcast in your favorite podcast app. 
Be sure to visit ivfmeeting.com where you can watch our back catalogue of webinars. Plus, you can sign up for future ones, download our electronic membership card and find all our social media so we can stay in touch.